The Real Estate Sessions is brought to you by First. First knows that a real estate professional's most valuable asset is their relationships. A strong personal network is the moat that can guard against any industry disruption. But there is never enough time to nurture your network the way you want to. First powers top agents with artificial intelligence to spotlight the people who are most likely to sell. This brings focus and attention to make important connections when it matters most. Learn more and request a free demo at first.io. I have done many, many different types of transactions over the years, and I find that my business is generally people-driven, not specialty-driven. And the customers that I've done business with over the years have been involved in a lot of different things, and so therefore, so have I. Welcome to the Real Estate Sessions podcast, where industry leaders share their stories and offer tips and advice for real estate professionals. Now your host, Bill Rissa of Fidelity National Title in Tampa, Florida. Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode 143 of the Real Estate Sessions podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you so much for sharing with a friend. It's how we continue to grow and uh, spread the word about what's happening in real estate and really the stories behind the people that are the movers and shakers and doing the great things in, in the world of real estate. And very excited about today's episode. It's uh, I haven't ventured very deeply into the commercial side of things. I've kind of stayed on residential and lending and I'm very excited. I, I've got with me today John Skasevich, who is with Coldwell Banker Commercial. John has been in the business um, a long time, I'm going to say roughly 38 years. So he's seen a lot, done a lot, all of that in the St. Pete, Tampa area. So it's going to be very exciting to ask him a lot of questions about what's going on there. John, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Bill. I really appreciate the opportunity. I said in the opening, you've been in this business since 1981, right? And that's in the uh, St. Pete, Tampa area. Are you a native of uh, the, the Gulf Coast? No, I'm, I'm not. I, I was born and raised outside of Chicago, a small suburb called North Lake, Illinois, and I've uh, been here since 1973. So I have to ask you, since you are from Chicago, and uh, I have this weird thing with sports fans from other cities... Are you like a Cubs fan, Bears fan, Bulls fan? How do you how do you identify yourself? Uh, well, I'm a I'm a Tampa Bay fan, so all the Tampa Bay teams are my teams, and the Cubs and the Blackhawks and the Bears are my second favorite teams. Awesome, that's the way it should be, right? I think so. I, I agree. And, and but, do you have a lot of friends from Chicago that live here that don't care? Uh, <laughs> it goes both ways. Yeah, I mean, once people move here and they usually do move here from there. Right. Uh, they 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 catch the fever, and of course, right now, uh, lightning fever is raging hot. Yeah, we're recording this episode a couple of weeks in advance, so let's hope that 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 really still matters. I hope because we're uh, getting ready to meet the Caps starting Friday night. That's so, right. Yeah. Can't wait. Yeah, it'll be a lot of fun. Um, great. So let's. You've been here then since the late seventies is when you got down here, right? Seventy three. Seventy three. Wow. I am sure, much like uh, I grew up in San Diego and I saw lots of changes in the 40 years I was there, I am sure you've seen massive changes in the Pinellas County area or Hillsborough over in Tampa. Let's, and there's a game I like to play. I like to call it Remember When. Because uh. if you've been here a long time, there are things that you can say, hey, do you remember when? And the other long timers would say, oh my gosh, that's the best thing ever. So give mm -hmm. me a two or three or a couple of these long gone icons right that that people would remember sure uh well when we when we moved here uh one of the absolute 
must do for people who came to visit uh, was you, you had to take them to the Kapok tree for dinner. That was a that was an event. It was on a Kapok tree. Kapok tree. Okay. Uh, that right now is the home to Sam Ash Music Store on McMullen Booth Road. <laughs> okay. The actual Kapok tree still exists. It's massive. Uh, it looks like a four-story tree, um, wow. and the facility is phenomenal. But it used to be one of the largest restaurants in the world, and it was a destination for anybody that visited the Tampa Bay market. Wow. So anyone that's been here any length of time knows about that. Oh, sure. Uh, so what else? Yeah. Oh, I, I um, in, in high school days, one of the favorite activities would be to go out and cruise Clearwater Beach. You know, it was um, filled with mom-and-pop motels, and there was... Uh, you know, the driving Mandalay and uh, Coronado and driving those streets back in the day, that was seeing and being seen, kind of like uh, the the TV show, uh, Happy Days. You're talking about now, some, uh, is this the place where, that I drive that's filled with super big hotels that charge $50 to park? Yes, that is <laughs> one and the same, right. And if you continue a little further south, there's the Sand Key uh, Park, which used to be just sand key and it was just a big beautiful pile of sand on the side of the gulf of mexico and you know that was that was a place we used to frequent as high schoolers you know it's just a beautiful unspoiled beach wow and thankfully that part it's a park still is yeah that's right that's on the northern end of the key right and yeah. the rest has been developed yeah yeah mm-hmm. so anything else oh boy um you know in tampa um they used to have the High Life Fronton, which was just a, a, a just a great activity. I mean, it was just tons of fun, uh, a unique environment. Old school Clearwater natives, they'll remember Young's Barbecue. That was one of my favorite restaurants back in the day. Uh, now I think it's Rumba. Okay. That's same, <laughs> same location, different, different place, but yeah. Pinellas County used to have drive-in movie theaters all over. Uh, there was one right here on Belcher Road in Clearwater. Um, I actually sold the Mustang Drive-In Theater down in Pinellas Park. And and I got, first time in my career, maybe only time, I got I got some nasty mail. Back then it was snail mail. Right. Uh, yeah. But Thank yeah. God. <laughs> yeah, right. But, uh, but that, that Mustang Drive-In Theater property was part the last part of a four-year assemblage that we did at the corner of uh, Park and Belcher, uh, a property that's now a Lowe's and Publix supermarket anchored uh, shopping center. I wonder, I wonder what the average age was of the people sitting in that, that letter. It had to be the people that remembered it and maybe still frequented it you know, in their later years. But it wasn't a bunch of kids who cared about the drive-in, was it? No, it was people that used to be kids <laughs> yeah exactly and uh just just lamenting the the the, the loss the the disappearance of the good old days yeah. you know it's just things changed I'm thinking back in scottsdale when i was there they finally closed down the last drive-in complex you know five screens in a circle and yeah the big room the big uh projection hub in the middle mm-hmm. and and we'd we'd taken our son there a couple times when we first moved there just to have, have him experience it but yeah that's long gone yep yeah. Let's let's see. I you end up going to school here. You went to St. Petersburg College in town. Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually graduated Dunedin High School and then went to at the time it was St. Pete Junior College. Okay, now it's just St. Pete College. Gotcha. And I was a career in the commercial side of real estate kind of on your radar at the time because I find that most people 
it's not what you're thinking about, you know, going right into the real estate world. There's something else, and this becomes second. Did that happen to you? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, uh, my first, my first jobs were in the restaurant business, uh, and I thought that I was going to be in the restaurant business. That's what I thought I wanted to do, uh, and did do some management in the restaurant uh, industry, and it just, it just didn't suit me. Uh, my brother-in-law had a real estate agency in Dunedin. And, you know, he brought me in and kind of showed me the ropes, and I've been doing this ever since. Did you come in with a commercial focus right away, or was there was there a residential start for you? Uh, initially, I, I started out doing residential transactions, and I found that uh, a real estate transaction is a, a sale is a sale is a sale. The process is so similar when you're dealing with title issues and inspection issues and survey issues and all of those things they're the, those skills and the deal making skills they completely transferred and in the course of really the first couple of years I started finding myself more and more prospecting for vacant land deals and commercial deals because it just it suits me commercial side of things uh, definitely has a different level of those negotiations and, and attorneys get involved maybe a little bit more than the residential side. Was there someone to help you guide you through that process? Was there a mentor for you? Sure. Um, well, Dave Eaton was my my first broker, as I said, my brother-in-law, and he really showed me the ropes on you know how to prospect for business, how to negotiate transactions. But when I moved into the commercial side, Bill Luton was the the broker at Luton Properties, and he brought me in and really uh, he really showed me the ropes. Is there one thing in particular you remember learning from him that at the time you know was kind of um, really important for the next like level development of where you were headed? Yeah, Bill Bill's background was pretty broad, but he spent time in the. Um, in the oil industry, uh, fi- doing gas station, lo- finding gas station sites. And I learned a great deal about site selection from Bill. And uh, eventually I went and did some work for the Amoco Oil Company. And Bill was uh, a huge help. And I did probably a dozen transactions with them over the years, finding gas station sites and did the same thing years later for 7-Eleven. Right. all goes back to that those original lessons. I'm going to ask you a question about that site selection while we're talking about it. You have the knowledge of the of the area. You know the demographics. You know um, zoning. You know a lot of really important stuff. So you, are you working closely then with a team, say at a Seven Eleven or an Amico, who's they they have um, they have their wish list of things they want uh, in a site, and then you're the one that tries to piece that all together. That, that's usually how it works, uh, and, and I've done this for a lot of different users, corporate and mom and pop, who are looking for a good location for a store. When, when you get down to the specific uh, details of each individual business, whether it's you know gasoline or grocery store sales or fast food, the, the broker's role is generally to, to um, do the analysis or have the knowledge so that we're putting good sites in front of the real estate decision makers, whether it's a corporate uh, entity or an individual and be able to be able to present why you know a, a site study for a corporate decision maker is essentially a process where you're looking at everything in the market that's competitive every opportunity in the market every site that might work and then you're zeroing in on the one that you're recommending 
and happy to explain why why it would work. You uh, have four very important letters behind your name. You have a designation, CCIM, that when I first started in the industry, I worked for Dave Miller, uh, with Dave Miller, our commercial sales manager, who was a CCIM as well. Not a broker, but always been in the title world. I think one of the few uh, back in the day who was able to obtain that um, designation. It's an NAR designation in the commercial world. Mm -hmm. It stands for Certified Commercial Investment uh, Member. And... I want you to talk about the importance of that designation, how you um, got yours, and and I'm just going to guess that some of that analysis you do, um, some of that might have come from some of that training in that designation. No question about it. Uh, I took CI 101 when I was a baby realtor. Uh, I actually took it on a scholarship, which is kind of funny thinking back on it. But uh, when I left that course, I thought I had the keys to the highway. I knew the time value of money, and... I knew how to do that that basic uh, uh, analysis. The economic analysis uh, was invaluable, and I've been a rabid fan ever since. I think that CI 101 should be taught in high school. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Now, to get the rest of it, you, that, that was another process? It was, yeah. There, there are a series of courses, and there's also, uh, there are also requirements as far as sales volume and mastery of the the data so i ended up not taking another course for a long time after i took ci 101 but then when i went back to taking the rest of the courses i took them all in another in a year year and a half and then uh, got my designation in the commercial world specialization is kind of the word it's been around for a long time there are different verticals right there's industrial and leasing and medical and retail um, and generally, somebody kind of fits into a slot and they become specialists, let's say. But I, I notice looking at your career and some of the things that you do, that you seem to be um, real versatile. Like you don't lock yourself into one of those areas. Talk about that. Sure. When I was in management, I, I spent 10 years as a commercial director in this market. And in that role, I recommended specialization. I found that it put people in a position where they could become an expert and sell that expertise. I don't practice what I preach, however. Right. Uh, I, I have done many, many different types of transactions over the years, and I find that my business is generally people-driven, not specialty-driven. And the customers that I've done business with over the years have been involved in a lot of different things, and so therefore, so have I. Um, one customer who was his primary business in real estate was land speculation. But that same person also was involved with a church, financing a church. And so I ended up selling a church and selling an orange grove and selling another church for the same customer. It's just the way it developed over the years. Right. And that expertise just kind of keeps growing and growing and, and yep. the knowledge that... So I'm sure in your management role, that was a huge help for you. Exactly. You know, if, you had, if you'd come into the management role knowing nothing but industrial, it would have been a little more difficult in that position, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Let's talk about what's happening in the Tampa Bay area right now. I, you know, I've only been here a little over a year, and the first thing I noticed was construction at the airport when I came out here for my first visit, and I went... Oh, that's a good site for somebody getting into the title business. They're they're expanding the airport, so they must expect more people coming. Um, let's talk about what's happening in that in the commercial world here. Sure. First of all, we have a world class airport. I think 
uh, Tampa International Airport is uh, voted favorite many times by you know uh, travelers that are that are surveyed. And when we when we travel coming home to Tampa Airport and the drive home uh, across the causeway, it's just wonderful. We live in a in a beautiful place. Uh, in the Tampa Bay area, I mean the numbers prove it out. About half of the uh, net population growth in Florida comes to Tampa. About a thousand people per day. Wow, wow. So, what what is that? Uh, what's on the horizon? I mean, what are some of the things that you're hearing about, or you know, what should we be watching for? I think it's a it's a maturing marketplace. So this population growth is driving us to improve the quality of what's already been developed. So we see a lot of redevelopment and a lot of uh, value enhancement on uh, older commercial properties. Uh, and we see a lot more uh, dense development uh, in these infill projects. And, of course, there continues to be you know, uh, suburban sprawl around the, around the outskirts of the Tampa Bay market. I know for me, uh, lots of cranes. <laughs> you know that are, right. We see lots of cranes. I watched the one structure go up, the one project, 42 stories in downtown St. Pete. They finally mm-hmm. capped it off a little bit. The sky cranes have come down. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I heard at a meeting that there's a chance of those, that developer doing another pretty massive project in downtown St. Pete, right? So that's just one area. Mm-hmm. But at Tampa Bay, that whole Vinick and what he's doing is just amazing, right? Sure. The the two, We have basically two downtowns. We have downtown Tampa and downtown St. Pete. And both of those markets are maturing right now and and expanding uh, in quality and quantity. This has been predicted for a long time, but in this particular uh, development cycle we're in right now, these these projects are coming out of the ground. They're becoming reality. And I think that that's the, the general thrust across the market. It's this organic growth and the real estate uh, development uh, market uh, stretching to catch up to the the population growth. Infill the key word in Pinellas, right? <laughs> sure, oh, there, absolutely. There's no place to develop anymore. Everything's either it's a, it's a park or it's part of the state system or it's developed, right? For the most part. For the most part, okay. I did. Says so the guy who has some yeah. uh, pocket stuff. I'm just asking. Well, I did just list ten acres of land for a multifamily project, and I wow. listed another six acres in St. Pete off of Fourth Street, and um, working on another eight acres of industrial land. All of that in Pinellas, so it's there. Okay, just, you know, and, and none of these properties were completely un, undeveloped. They've all been used for something, but right. now it's time to repurpose them, and you know. Bring yeah. a little more density. Things you said, modernize and and uh, and and update what's what's happened here. I love yep. it. Is there is there a comparison between Hillsborough and Pinellas for people listening outside of Florida? You know, Hillsborough County is the uh, east side of the bay, and that's where Tampa is, and some other communities around Tampa. And then we have uh, the peninsula on the peninsula, Pinellas right. Pinellas County, which is um, obviously I think when people think of coming to this area, that's where Clearwater and the beaches in St. Pete are. So. From your point of view as a commercial broker, are there differences between the two counties? I consider the market to be pretty uh, homogenous. I, I, I think that the the Tampa Bay area is truly a connected region. There used to be a lot of separations and competitiveness between one side of the bay versus the other. Some people are keeping that alive. 
with the with the discussion about where to put the next uh, Tampa Bay Rays stadium. We had to bring that up, huh? Uh, well, yeah, <laughs> I'm a 15 minute walk right now from from Major League Baseball. Is that going away? Is that what you're telling me? Uh, you'll have spring training. Okay, <laughs> I still have spring. Okay, good. But no, the the so certainly I think the Tampa Bay Rays stadium is is something that's been pointing up some uh, divisions between the two sides of the bay. But right. for people who live here. When we're going to the theater or going out to dinner or going to an event, one side or the other, I think everybody thinks in terms of how long is it going to take me to get there and not in terms of what side of the bay is it on. Right, yeah. Is the Howard Franklin jammed up or not, right? That's all we want to know. All right, good. (laughs) Um, There's also a lot of uh, development going on around the outskirts. You mentioned that a little bit earlier. I know that from our point of view, we, we have an operation in Pasco County, one of our branches, and there's a on a new construction going on up there, right? So the builders mm-hmm. have land up there, and as you go farther north or east, that's available. Um, from a commercial point of view, you follow that, right? Is that the kind of thing that the the commercial follows, the residential growth? Absolutely, right. The, the demand for the commercial space is dictated by rooftops, and so residential uh, development generally leads. The old adage is... Uh, we used to say drive until you qualify as far as a residential right. uh, home purchase. If you drive a little bit further, you'll get something a little bit less expensive. I, uh, the The last run-up in gas prices, which was a few years back mm-hmm. when everybody was looking at $4 plus per gallon, took some of the fun out of that whole drive to you qualify concept. Um, but the other element is that in the area you're talking about in uh, central Pasco, northwest Hillsboro, those are not old school, inexpensive developments. They're full amenity, high quality retail projects. And the commercial that's coming in behind them is every bit as high quality. Wiregrass and some of the other uh, retail outlets um, are, you know, they're very nice, very high quality projects. And it's a, there's a good quality of life up there. Yeah, for anybody local to the area, just checking out 54 and 56, right? I, 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 new to the area, I drove like the length of those. I went a long ways you know, from Zephyr Hills all the way to Tarpon Springs and was blown away by some of that, like you talked about, high-end homes and, and great mm-hmm. commercial developments. I can't talk to you, John, without talking about uh, your, your uh, really your stellar success here in, in, the, in the area You've been recognized uh, for 12 years straight as the top Coldwell Banker commercial broker in the region. And obviously, you know, knowing the area and being able to dig into the numbers. And I think even you're in school, your, your, your major was accounting. Right. Yeah. So yeah. that obviously very helpful. Um, but, but I also like to talk to people about the importance of relationships in someone's success. How does that work for you in the commercial world? I've had great success and and I've formed some great relationships over the years and being referred from one person to another to another is an just a tremendous compliment I appreciate the the uh the awards I mean it's nice to be the top dog and uh you know I was kidding with you before after this long you know part of me I feel like I should be the top dog but you know, it's not something you take for granted, and so I'm very grateful for the relationships over the years. There are stories in a commercial transaction. So on the residential side, you know, we get a 30-day close of escrow. Maybe they had to list it for 60 days, and it closes in 30. So it's, you know, within three months, maybe five or six if it's a tougher market. 
but putting together and, and I did a little commercial escrow back in the day. We had a mm-hmm. we did a lot of a condo office project stuff uh, and acquisition of land and and um, some other things that, that we closed. And they can take anywhere from yeah, I guess you can whip one through in six months, but we're thinking more 12, 18, sometimes longer, two years. And it's this whole process. So you've got to have a story or two about, about one of your favorite closings. <laughs> I, well, there, there are a lot of stories, uh, for sure. Can we, can we talk about it on the air? Sure, on sure. The podcast? Oh, okay, yes, good, good. Absolutely. Um, uh, a favorite, a favorite ploy is, uh, this, this last second end of due diligence drop the bomb negotiation tactic and and I've had a lot of those and it's not my favorite tactic but it's having seen it and been through it I can prepare people for it and it's kind of interesting when you prepare somebody for that and then two weeks later here it comes Um, we had one where on the day before the last day of due diligence the buyer uh, indicated that the property probably had some kind of sinkhole activity and so the seller should be delighted to take a $200,000 price cut and go to closing and get this property behind him. And uh, the seller, I, I, had, I told him, something's going to be coming here at the end. The buyer had a nephew who was a geotechnical engineer, and so they came in, and I said, I know something's coming, I just don't know what it is. And when that came, my seller calmly said, tell them we'll be happy to cancel the deal and give them their money back. Or they can close, either one. Nobody on the buyer's side of that deal liked it, but there's a Hampton in there today. That's, that's still level? Hasn't, uh, hasn't yeah, still, collapsed still or sunk into they, the ground? They closed. <laughs> they built the Hampton Inn. It's a beautiful facility, and there hasn't been any uh, emergence of any sinkholes. Or What's the opposite of emergence? Uh, expansion? <laughs> Subsidence? Uh, no, 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 <laughs> <laughs> that's great. So... Yeah, I like that tact. And like you said, you've seen it over and over and over. It's just a yes. common thing because they're hoping the seller will get a little antsy and cave, right? Yeah, there's you know the pressure of the moment. And some yeah. people feel that and some people don't. Is there one project you had that um, went like way longer than something else? I'm always curious about like a, a transaction that took like way longer than it should have. He, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm working on a property right now that uh, I have had listed for 10 years. Wow. And we haven't wow. closed yet. Now, wow. we've sold it three times, but we haven't closed yet. It's just, you know, we talked earlier about how Pinellas County is approaching build-out. Well, as we get down to these last parcels that are left to be developed, generally speaking, there's something wrong with the property. Okay, that there's makes sense. There's some reason yeah. why. It, <laughs> it was a, avoided all those years. Yes, yes. <laughs> and so, so you know, you, you learn about these things and you work through the, the problems, the issues, and um, and you know we're we're getting there. All stuff that's going to help you for the next time, right? Precisely <laughs> for the next yes. the next one that pops up. Yes. That's great. I end my podcast the same way every time. I've had you here the half hour I asked you for, so I'll wrap this up for you so you can get back to work. But I always ask um, everyone since, since day, the first episode with Jay Thompson, you know, what one piece of advice would you give a realtor just getting started in the business? But I want to change it up just a skosh for you. I still want the answer to the question, but for that young commercial broker coming in, you know, someone who's going to be junior to someone else on the team, and they're just, you know, you've, you've seen how many of these people through the years come in. They're in their early 20s, they're out of college, they want to get into the business. What's your best piece of advice for those guys? Sure. Um, and 
and I do mentor people, you know, and, and give them this same advice over and over again, and some of them take it. Uh, some? <laughs> basically, there, there are three elements to this. I think the first thing is pretty simple. Show up to work every day. This is a full-time job, and if you put in at least eight hours a day, five days a week, or more, then you're, you're making that, a, that commitment, and, you, and you're going to find success. The other thing is learn values to know what things are worth. If you're specialized in your specialty, if you're not in your area, whatever you, whatever aspect of the business you're studying, know the numbers. Uh, the, the most valuable time I spent as a baby realtor was sitting at pitch sessions and listening to people talk about their properties and evaluating value price per square foot, price per acre, price per unit, cap rate, all of those things, just calculating those numbers was was invaluable, just a huge learning curve. Uh, and then the next part, uh, third part, is talk to people about their real estate or their real estate issues every day. Find somebody and some reason to talk to them about their real estate issues or their property. Uh, you'd be amazed at how uh, how quickly those relationships get formed and how how and how valuable that information becomes. John, if somebody wants to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Well, if they can figure out how to spell my name, they'll well, find me I'll all over the internet. <laughs> well, at least it's in the title of the show, but I'll there have you, you spell it when you're in your email or sure, however you want sure, to hand sure. out to them. Yeah, my my uh, my cell phone is is uh, always with me, and that's seven two seven six four two three nine six five. And if someone wants to email me, my email is John Ski C C I M at gmail.com. So J-O-H-N-S-K-I-C-C-I-M at gmail.com. John, and thank you, Bill. Yeah, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate getting, I mean, a ton of knowledge about my new hometown. Uh, and, uh, and really, thank you so much for your time. Thanks a lot.